Howdy folks, I'm Sam I am. Welcome to the show. We're going to talk crypto in this episode and cover this lawsuit that the SEC, that Jay, I already have Clayton, has dropped in our lap before being uh, shown the door, basically. And I have a lot of thoughts around that, but we're going to table that for now. This one, this video, I really want to be about the lawsuit, uh, the facts in the case. We're going to actually review it. It's 71 pages. It's probably going to be a rather long video. But it's important for those of you that want to understand the crux of what's at stake here and what the allegations are. There's some stuff that like really uh, pissed me off reading uh, this. So we're going to talk about that. I'm going to give you some insights and background as to what was going on. I think there's some things that the SEC alleges in this lawsuit that are like valid uh, things that they're bringing up. And I also think that there's a, some deficiencies in their argument. And you have uh, Ripple on the one hand saying this is a massive overreach by the SEC. They're massively expanding the Howey test. I'm not sure I agree with that. On the other side of this, you have some legal experts who have read this and said, oh, Ripple's in serious trouble. And I also think like they don't really understand these deficiencies in the SEC's argument. Uh, the way that I might. So I'm, you know, like, I don't think anybody's really got uh, the right picture here of how this is going to play out. And I think, you know, both sides are making some some good points. And there's really a, a, a case or a controversy here for the courts to figure out. Uh, so we're going to go through it um, and start right here. So this is kind of the SEC's. Oh, yeah, sorry. Let's go back here real quick. So Southern District of New York, which is kind of the premier court for uh, business disputes because New York is very business friendly, uh, law and so forth. And it's filed against Ripple, Brad Garlinghouse, Chris Larson, CEO and co-founder of, of uh, Ripple. Okay, and this is the SEC's uh, kind of narrative. They're painting the picture of here's what these bad guys did. Ripple created an information vacuum such that Ripple and uh, the two insiders with the most control over it, Larson and Garlinghouse, could sell XRP into a market that possessed only the information defendants chose to share about Ripple and XRP. So they kind of withheld things, released things intentionally, along with other actions to try and pump up the price of XRP and you know manipulate it. Um, Ripple engaged in this illegal securities offering from 2013 to the present. Uh, Ripple received legal advice as early as 2012 that under certain circumstances, XRP could be considered an investment contract. So investment contracts, one of their key words, what the SEC is saying is that when you buy XRP, you're buying an investment contract uh, because Ripple is going to invest their sweat equity in driving utility for XRP, uh, which will drive up the price. They've set expectations with their public comments that they will cause the price to increase, and therefore that makes it a security. That's kind of the SEC's argument here. There's there's more to it that we'll get into, um, but that basically what happened there, Ripple hired some... Uh, lawyers, some international lawyers to basically review and look at what they were doing and give them advice. And the legal team said there's a possible risk that you could be considered a security 
so it's not that they ignored it, but they did, I guess they didn't feel the risk was great enough. Okay. Uh, so Ripple and Larson ignored this advice, is what the SEC is going to say, of course. The strategy worked. Over the years-long unregistered offering of securities, the offering, Ripple was able to raise at least $1.38 billion by selling XRP. Ripple used this money to fund its operations without disclosing how it was doing so or the full extent of its payments to others to assist in its efforts to develop a use for XRP and maintain XRP secondary trading markets. So they're painting the picture that like Ripple was behind this whole thing. They're in there manipulating the markets and in a lot of ways they that's exactly what they were doing. Um, and the SEC is also making the case here that the only use for XRP comes from Ripple and what they're trying to do with the banks to do cross-border payments, period, full stop, no other utility. Uh, and I think that's where their argument falls short, because if that's true, that means there's no crypto out there with any utility, and that's just ridiculous, right? So they're missing the fact, or they're trying to paint the picture that the XRP ledger, that uh, XRP is this centralized asset that Ripple controls, They've got the curtain that they can unveil to, you know, drive the price up and down and they're selling into it and ripping people off and this and that and creating this expectation of profit and so forth. Um, okay. Meanwhile, Larson, Ripple's uh, initial chief executive officer, CEO, and current chairman of the board in Garlinghouse, Ripple's current CEO, orchestrated these unlawful sales and personally profited by approximately $600 million from their unregistered sales of XRP. So we'll get into how much they all hold, but yes, um, you know, Brad Garlinghouse sold, I think, $150 million of XRP while he's did so while repeatedly touting that he was, quote, very long XRP, meaning he held a significant position uh, he expected to rise in value without disclosing his sales of XRP. And I'm pretty pissed off about that one. Um, yeah, we'll get into the numbers. But uh, all right, let's keep going. I don't know what I wanted to say there. Defendants continue to hold substantial amounts of XRP can continue to monetize their XRP while using the information asymmetry they created in the market for their own gain. So like they're only telling them investors the good news. They're not telling them about the bad news. They're not telling them about, hey, we're selling XRP, our personal XRP to put millions of dollars in our bank accounts. And uh, engaging in the unlawful offer and sale of securities. Unless defendants are permanently restrained and enjoined, they will continue to. So they're trying to stop them. Uh, commission seeks to permanently enjoin defendants uh, from you know, doing anything with securities. They want the defendants to disgorge their ill-gotten gains and to pay prejudgment, prohibiting defendants from participating in any offering of digital asset securities and imposing civil money penalties on defendants. Uh, the venue is proper for the Southern District of New York. So they're, you know, they're saying New Yorkers got ripped off or bought XRP and so forth. So we have standing here. I already talked about, you know, why they're doing, bringing it in, the, in that court. Okay. So Ripple 
Brad and um, Chris Larson are the only three are the three entities named in the suit. But then you also have listed here co-founder that got nine billion uh, shortly after XRP was created. That's Jeb McCaleb, who runs uh, Stellar now. Cryptographer one is David Schwartz, 51, California resident who served as Ripple's chief cryptographer, and now he's the CTO. You've got uh, Ripple Agent One, which is 55, California resident, co-founded Ripple, received two billion XRP. I'm pretty sure that's Arthur Brito. And you've got 42, a Florida resident. I think this is Miguel Vias, who moved to Florida after he left, or I think was fired from Ripple, uh, as head of XRP markets from November 2016 through April 2020. And then a 36-year-old California resident uh, who served as Ripple's executive VP of business development and the senior VP of biz dev for, uh, from basically 2013 to 2018. I'm not sure who that is, Marcus, or uh, I'm not sure. I have to look it up. Okay. In contrast to ordinary commercial principles of caveat impetor, uh, Congress enacted a regime of full and fair disclosure requiring a company, an issuer, to uh, and its control persons who offer and sell securities to the investing public to provide sufficient, accurate information to allow investors to make informed decisions before they invest. So they're saying... We have the power. Congress told us we could come in here and beat our chest and demand millions of dollars, billions of dollars, put that in our pocket and pay out a paltry hundred million in settlements to the actual victims. This is a fucking terrible system. Okay. This is government's one size must fit all approach. And it's absurd where because the free market, the way the free market would solve this same problem is they would have different organizations providing different levels of certification, right? You could have your high risk category that very little was known about it and so forth. And it's, you know, very, very speculative. And then you could have your, your greatest level of disclosure where they're having to give all information and be completely transparent about what they're doing. And of course that's going to attract more investors and better money because they feel more secure. And if somebody was doing a shitty job like the SEC and old Jay, I already have Clayton, uh, they can, you know, people can just go and use somebody else, but you can't do that with government. And that's why they are able to provide such shitty service and not provide any kind of clarity or action on this issue for like years, five, five years plus that they could have, could have done something here. Okay. Uh, definition of a, of a security under the securities act includes a wide range of investment vehicles, including investment contracts. So again, X buying XRP is buying an investment contract, which are instruments through which a person invests money in a common enterprise and reasonably expects profits or returns derived from the entrepreneurial or managerial efforts of others. So that's the idea, right? Is that Ripple is going out, working with the banks to, um, deploy their software that will eventually use XRP. Um, and that's going to drive value into XRP, which is, you know, kind of what's happening, right? Like that's, that's what I think is happening. Certainly. Uh, I don't think they owe it to me, but I think they're going to do it, uh, you know, regardless, but I think that's how the SEC is going to view them. And I think they're making a valid point here, right? Okay, now, 
This was about the creation of Ripple. This was in late 2011, early 2012. Co-founder began working on the idea and code for what would become the XRP ledger. That's uh, Jed, I think. Um, around that time, he recruited Cryptographer One. This is David Schwartz and Ripple Agent One uh, to help him in programming the, le the ledger. That's Brito. Uh, during the process to achieve consensus with respect to a new proposed state of the XRP ledger, each server on the network evaluates proposed transactions from a subset of servers. Uh, it trusts not to defraud it. They're describing the validator network and how the architecture is laid out for the XRPL. Uh, also known as the server's UNL or unique node list, while each server defines its own trusted servers, the XRP ledger requires a high degree of overlap between the trusted nodes chosen by each server. Ripple thus publishes its own unique uh, unique node list, which they're trying to say, okay, see, uh, they've centralized it. They're in complete control of the system. But the reality is, you know, that was probably more true back then than it is today. Now they're kind of offloading that to the XRPL foundation, which I think is something that really needed to happen. But the fact has always been that there are competing uh, unique node lists and that anybody can create one and the validators can choose any one that they want and they can make their own changes. So there is no uh, whip that Ripple can crack that will force the validators to fall in line and use their UNL. There's just not. Okay. Approximately 40% of the nodes validating transactions on the XRP ledger are operated by organizations or entities based in the United States, including Ripple itself. So again, in the early days, if you're rolling out a new network that nobody knows about, you're going to be the one, you know, providing that hardware and turning it up and so forth. That's just kind of common sense. Um, Ripple has since, uh, you know, they've said every time we add two um, new, new validators to the UNL, We'll turn down one of our uh, one of our validators so that we have less and less control, and I think eventually they want to be almost completely out of it. Uh, and they've done that; they've executed on that uh, plan and that expectation that they've set. Um, at the same time, there's still, when it comes to the nodes that are ordering the transactions to feed to the validators, it's still very much centralized by Ripple. Uh, that those are high bandwidth, uh, high horsepower servers that need to be able to process and feed those transactions out. And that's something that's expensive, you know, to have that kind of uh, demands in a data center. And so on that end of the scale, they, they score, you know, like a D or maybe, yeah, maybe a C, but probably a D. Whereas I think on the validator side there, they're more like a A or a B. Okay. Uh, Ripple One and Cryptographer One created at little cost the final version of what is today a fixed supply of 100 billion XRP. So they created the, the XRP ledger that had the 100 billion XRP. After this transfer, there were actually several before they finally kept the one that we have today. Uh, Ripple and its founders controlled 100% of XRP. Yep, it was pre-mined. That's the way it works. That was also disclosed to everybody you know it's a commonly known fact um cryptographer one on twitter said quote the people who created xrp are pretty much the same as the people who created ripple 
and they created Ripple originally to, among other things, distribute XRP. So, you know, here's, I think they kind of malign David a little bit. What he's pointing out is how can you use something if you don't distribute it? Like if you're the only one that holds it, you can trade with yourself until you send it to somebody else. Then you can trade with them until you, you know, the more people you send it to, the more people you can trade with. That's how these networks work, right? It's, he's just kind of pointing out the obvious and they're trying to say, uh, you know, this was their plan all along was to create this XRP and then dump it on uh, people for promising them this investment contract, right? And, you know, what they did here was kind of a legal maneuver where they created the XRP, then they created an, a business entity, uh, XRPL, as well as Ripple Labs back then, and they uh, gifted the XRP to the XRP2, which is the separate corporate entity that's not attached to Ripple. In case they get sued, it gives them some protection. Um, and the founders kept about 20%, which is a lot, but, uh, you know, it was their thing. They made it. They came up with something very novel that hadn't existed before. It was, you know, Bitcoin at that point and Litecoin uh, and maybe Ethereum, though I don't even think so. So, all right. Ripple could do little with its billions of XRP at that time, however, and Ripple had limited funds to pursue any operations it may have sought to undertake. Ripple determined to create a market for and sell XRP to the public to monetize its holdings and finance its operations. Um, so it's interesting here in this whole thing that they don't once mention the fact that they've gone through multiple rounds of uh, invest, investing, you know, of uh, seed, seed invest, whatever the hell it's called, <laughs> collecting money from investors and VC firms to fund operations and sell them a stake in the company. So that's not really mentioned. They're trying to paint the picture that it's the whole thing's been funded by XRP sales, and that's not really the case. Okay. Ripple sought advice of an international law firm regarding legal risks associated with XRP. That's what we mentioned briefly in the beginning. The law firm provided two memos that analyzed these risks. Memos warned some risks that XRP would be considered an investment contract, and that's a security. So they kind of they were like, yeah, there's some moderate risk here. We don't know exactly what they said, but that there was some risk that this could be considered, not that this is a, this is likely an investment contract or this is definitely an investment contract, but that it could be, can, there's some risk is, is the word, wording that we have. Okay, uh, these, these included, among other things, how Ripple promoted and marketed XRP to potential purchasers, the motivation of such purchasers, and Ripple's other activities with respect to XRP. If individuals purchase XRP, quote, to engage in a speculative investment trading, or if Ripple employees promoted XRP as potentially increasing in price, something they've absolutely done, uh, you know, in various ways, uh, the legal memos warn that Ripple would face an increased risk that XRP units would be considered investment contracts and thus securities. Both memos warned that XRP was unlikely to be considered currency under the Exchange Act uh, because unlike traditional currencies, XRP was not backed by a central government and therefore was not legal tender. Unless you have men with guns, you don't have legal tender. 
which is why they the um uh, i forget not the sec but the other regulatory body here uh cftc came in and said it's a convertible virtual currency so it is kind of a currency it's a hybrid i think they also described it as a hybrid utility token or you know something like that so but one of them certainly is has the word currency in it and this is where the regulations are such a freaking mess that you know one's going to call it something and the other one's going to say oh no it's definitely not that and it, it who's right dep depends on who's bringing enforcement action against you right this is a terrible terrible business environment and this is why crypto is leaving the U.S. and we're going to have a financial system that's controlled by China. If they don't fix the shit. In October, uh, the October 2012 legal memo also advised Ripple and Larson to contact the SEC to obtain clarity as to whether XRP was a security under the federal securities law. They didn't. Spoiler alert, they didn't. On May 26, uh, 2014, Larson explained in an email to individual formerly associated with Ripple that the international law firm that wrote the legal, legal memo advised that investors and employees could not receive XRP because that, quote, could risk SEC designation as a security. Larson also explained that the XRP he received upon Ripple's founding was compensation for personally assuming the risk. I'm... I'm the hero here. I'm taking the risk here. That's why I get the 9 billion XRP, but you lowly employees, y'all can't have it. Bullshit. What a shitty thing to do to go and say to your employees. And, you know, we know it's not true because they've reversed that policy and, uh, you know, did that later, but that was back in 2014. That's what he was going and telling his people. Now, to some extent, he's right. Yeah, because here he is named as a defendant in the lawsuit. Uh, Larson himself explained he was paid at the outset uh, in an asset potentially worth hundreds of millions of dollars, also potentially worth zero dollars, because it had no value, right, before they created it, because you made that point, SEC. To assume a risk he knew existed that the sale of the asset could constitute an offering of securities for which he would be held responsible, or that... You know, it may not be, his view might have been, this is not a security, and if they come after me, I'm going to have to spend a lot of money on lawyers and legal fees to fight it, which is exactly what he's doing, right? So, you know, I'm not going to jump on either of these bandwagons here. I think they're both making some valid points. Uh, failed to heed some of the legal advice. This is uh, Larson and, uh, and Brad failed to heed some of the legal advice and warnings in the legal memos. Neither contacted the SEC to obtain clarity about the legal status of XRP before engaging in large-scale distribution. Probably should have done that. Sometimes it's easier to beg forgiveness later than it is to ask permission, and I think that's the approach that they've taken here. Uh, Ripple and Larson offered, sold, and promoted XRP as an investment, precisely the type of conduct that the legal, memo, legal memos had warned could lead to a determination that XRP was a security, right? Like they should have been much more careful. And Flair, very, very careful about this. They've learned that lesson, I think. Um, 
Okay, in other words, Ripple and Larson embarked on a large-scale unregistered public distribution of XRP uh, with the goal of immense profits simply assumed the risk. From 2013 to 2014, Ripple and Larson made efforts to create a market for XRP by having Ripple distribute approximately 12.5 billion XRP through bounty programs. The paid programmers compensation for reporting problems in the XRP ledger's code. So, yeah, you know, that's a normal thing to do. As part of these calculated steps, Rip <laughs> calculated steps, Ripple distributed small amounts of XRP, typically between 100 and 1,000 XRP per transaction, to anonymous developers and others to establish a trading market for XRP, or to, uh, you know, tell people that this thing's out there and get some more eyes on your code before you start moving real money around it and find bugs. That's like a totally reasonable and rational thing to do, and. Uh, you know, it creates people with a vested interest in, you know, if you're going to get a bounty for finding something, you're going to look a little harder and make sure that, you know, it's something that you want to, you want to hold on to, or maybe you want to let go of. At the same time, Ripple began making public statements. Uh, Ripple circulated, quote, business model is based on the success of uh, its native currency, that it would keep between 25 to 30% of XRP. Uh, and noted that noted the record highs of prices other digital assets had achieved as something Ripple hoped to emulate for XRP. Is that setting an expectation of increasing the price? It's, uh, I mean, it may not technically cross that line, but it's certainly implying, right? And that's, I think, what the SEC is saying. So here's... Uh, uh, David Schwartz again posted, quote, as a, this is back in 2013, as a corporation, we are legally obligated to maximize shareholder value. Again, David's stating fact here, with our current business model, that means acting to increase the value and liquidity of XRP. Again, you know, pretty reasonable thing to say that, yeah, uh, we're going to use this thing. We believe this will happen if the Ripple network is widely adopted as a payment system. One would expect increased demand to increase price. So he's not saying Ripple's going to drive the price up, but he's saying Ripple uh, increased demand is just, you know, there's supply and effect. Uh, what is it? Supply and demand is just going to dictate that increased demand will, uh, with a fixed supply, a fixed asset, with a fixed supply would increase the price. That's that's pretty basic. So this is the kind of thing that David does where he's much more articulate and specific. And I don't think what he's saying is what they're trying to imply here. I think they're reaching when they when they quote David is general. Okay. Um is generally my feelings about most of what they what they pull from from his uh past. Okay, raising funds for Ripple Labs operation, the Ripple uh, document titled XRP Distribution Framework. As crypto, cryptographer one, David Schwartz, uh, put in 2013, Ripple is working on, quote, multiple avenues. So here's the thing at the time. Uh, starting at least 2015, however, Ripple decided it would seek to make XRP a universal digital asset 
for banks and other financial institutions to affect money transfers. So Brad comes in and he says, we're not going to be the, the, you know, I've got, I'm famous for my peanut butter manifesto. We're not going to spread our, ourselves too thin. We're going to work on just one use case for XRP. We'll build them out from there. They have done exactly that. The, um, uh, the letter of credit is a perfect example, right? That completely changes finance, changes the game. It's a, it is a absolute game changer for these small payment companies to be able to deploy capital anywhere in the world inside of 60 seconds based on credit uh, with Ripple, a line of credit with Ripple, and they don't even have to hold the XRP. They just enter the order in the, in the RippleNet system and boom, the money gets delivered. That's powerful, right? And it's just, it is a complete game changer from what we have today. <clears throat> but I think the multiple avenues was all of these various different, you know, smart contracts, Codeus, uh, um, web monetization, micropayments, all of these other things. Brad didn't want to get all of that stuff come kind of clouding the picture of what they were doing. He wanted very clear focus, cross-border payments for banks. It's a multi-trillion dollar problem and we want to solve it. Uh, so then what they did is they created Ripple X, which used to be called X Spring, but they finally came to their senses, listened to me and changed it to Ripple X. Good job. <laughs> um, everything else that wasn't cross-border payments for banks and FIs uh, became something in Ripple X, at least if they thought it was a good idea. So coils out of there, flares coming out of there. Uh, you have a half dozen other programs. So what they're not saying is out of that 1.38 billion that they've sold in XRP, 600 million went into these Ripple X projects up here. 100 million went to develop uh, utility for XRP on uh, Fortnite with Fortnite, I think, and their gaming platform. Uh, they've done all these various things that are part of developing that flourishing ecosystem, that diverse ecosystem, because the more diverse it is, the more utility you can drive into the network, um, the more liquidity and depth uh, depth of liquidity it's going to have, right? And the, the more options they'll have to move money or move value around the system. Okay. So, you know, I think what, what they're, they're trying to like point fault at this. And I, I think the SEC is reaching here as well. Okay. In other words, Ripple's stated business plan made Ripple's conduct alleged here a foregone conclusion. Ripple made it part of its strategy to sell XRP to as many speculative investors as possible. I don't know how true that is, but they certainly sold a shitload of it. At the same time, you can't have a network that has global liquidity if you are the one of the few holders of the asset. It doesn't freaking make sense. So you have to deploy it and get it out there in various markets and you have to do various things to make that happen, right? It's just fact of life here. Ripple sold XRP widely into the market, specifically to individuals who had no use for XRP as Ripple has described such potential uses and for the most part, when no such uses even existed. And this is where they're wrong. I think this is the crux of the SEC's argument that Ripple is the only use case for it. 
and that everybody they sold it to had no use, no potential use case for it. They didn't even exist here. You know, for the most part, they didn't even exist is what they said right there. And that would mean then that no crypto has a use case, which is ridiculous. Okay. They have this principle in law that if it excludes everything, then it, it can't be a rule kind of thing. Well, that seems like what this is here. That's absurd to suggest that a digital asset that's of a technical technological leap from Bitcoin and proof of work and that whole thing has no real world utility without Ripple. So. Okay. Ripple also lacked the funds to pay for these endeavors and for its general corporate business expenses, which for 2013 and 2014 had already exceeded 25 million. That's a shitload of money, right? For to spend two years on a small startup with 40 employees or whatever they had back then. Um, at the same time, the SEC is not mentioning that they did these uh, investment rounds. So Ripple's objectives and its own financial uh, reality thus compelled it to actively seek to offer and sell XRP as widely as possible while controlling supply and demand in the resale market to manage and control liquidity for an imagined future use case. And again, here they're, this is within their paradigm that there is no use for XRP, not, which is just not true. In August of 2013, Ripple started making unregistered offers and sales of XRP in exchange for fiat currencies or digital assets such as Bitcoin. Larson orchestrated, others enlisted to assist Ripple's efforts to develop an XRP market. Okay, so, and they're kind of going through some of the things that they've done here to uh, build, try and build up these markets. And we're going to get into this when we, when Miguel comes into to this. Um, we'll, we'll break that down and just save it for then. Okay. In 2017, def defendants also began accelerating Ripple's sales of XRP because while Ripple's expenses continued to increase, reaching nearly $275 million for 2018, its revenue outside of XRP sales did not. Uh, starting in 2016, Ripple began selling two software suites, XCurrent and XVIA, uh, from which it had earned approximately $23 million, so making 10% of revenue. Uh, or of expenses, right? Not a good uh, formula, but uh, actually not terrible for a lot of the shit that passes as investment uh, opportunities in today's world. Uh, through 2019, though neither uses XRP or blockchain technology. So they're pointing out XCurrent and XVIA. Now, uh, uh, hold on, folks. That's my daughter. I'm going to chat for just a minute with her. Okay, that was a fun discussion with her. She really likes the voice mod and the Echo one. But apparently, I need to get back to work here because the natives are getting restless. That's Jungle Inc. responding quite violently, apparently, to my uh, crypto videos, or sorry, non-crypto videos these days. <laughs> so I should, I guess, get back to the lawsuit here. So, all right, let's go. Okay, so they have these two software suites, but what the SEC is not aware of, uh, and not, I guess, privy, I mean, they, they, they're, they're privy to it if they look, they just, they're ignorant of this, uh, is that Ripple went to the banks and gave them each some XRP, right? And said, here you go, 
use this with in combination with our software and we'll show you how much more efficiently we can do your payments. And so they went around and they did that and the feedback from the banks was, look, we don't have regulatory clarity. We can't touch this. We don't even know if we can legally hold it or, or even use it that much. So it's like the SEC was the problem here. And they're, you know, pointing out that, well, you didn't do this and, and you created these projects that don't even use XRP. Well, that was because of you assholes. Um, and they actually, they actually had to go back into the, to the drawing board around this time to then go back and create these two XVIA and XCurrent, which were kind of stepping stones to get their foot in the door, the camel's nose under the tent, so to speak, uh, so that they could then uh, get the banks comfortable with uh, RippleNet with their software, with what they were doing to kind of change their process because bankers are very conservative and so forth. Uh, and then, you know, when, they, when they're ready to use XRP or they get regulatory clarity from, Jay, I already have Clayton, then they can just flip the, you know, it's, it's a software configuration and the system will start using XRP, sourcing liquidity through XRP, what's now on-demand liquidity. That, that was the old X-Rapid product. Okay, so they're kind of, again, here, painting a picture that's not really true because they don't know. They don't understand uh, the history and, and how they went, uh, went about this and had to go about this. Ripple raised about $97 million in sales of equity securities through 2018. Okay, so I guess they do mention that. Uh, and an additional $200 million in 2019. Uh, so roughly $300 million in uh, VC money coming in or private investment money, <clears throat> which if you go back up and they, their expenses were 275 million, well, they've covered their operating costs, you know, maybe uh, you know, borrowed some money over time from XRP, but they've raised VC funding to fund operations. Uh, I, you know, and I think they could somewhat make that argument, right? And what they've done with the XRP is invested it into these other companies to build a more complete, more diverse ecosystem to make the entire network stronger, right? Because that also benefits them if there's deeper liquidity and more utility and more routes for value to move around the network because there are more people using the network. That's how this stuff works. Okay. Uh, the overwhelming majority of Ripple's revenue came from its sales of XRP, and Ripple relied on those sales to fund its operations. I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, yet, yes, overwhelming revenue, that is true. I don't know about funding sales to, sales to fund its operations. They could have probably raised it if they needed it. Uh, okay, plan distribution succeeded from 2014 to the end of 2019. To fund its operations, Ripple sold at least 3.9 billion XRP through uh, market sales for approximately 763 million US dollars. From 2013 through the end of the quarter 2020, Ripple sold at least 4.9 billion XRP through institutional sales for approximately 624 million US dollars. Also to fund Ripple's operations for a total of 1.38 billion US dollars in market and institutional sales alone. Okay. Uh, and again, 600 million of that went to RippleX initiatives to build out a, a complete ecosystem. I think that's so important to, uh, to point out here. 
Offering range from a low price of approximately 0.2 cents uh, per XRP in 2014 to a high price of $3.84 per XRP in early 2018. Ripple also undertook to achieve its goal of widespread distribution of XRP by exchanging XRP for non-cash consideration, such as labor and marketing, uh, market-making services. <coughs> so here's where they're out kind of wheeling and dealing, making partnerships to further advance uh, their objective, which is to bootstrap a global liquidity network. Not an easy thing to do. And this is where we're going to get into Miguel Vias and kind of what he had uh, going on here, I think. Ripple paid uh, third parties to assist in its efforts to accomplish this as widespread, a, to accomplish as widespread a distribution of XRP as possible and to a, attempt to develop a use for XRP. Well, no, develop one use, their primary use, what they're focusing on, but there are other uses already inherent in the just the properties of the network itself, right? And the fact that you have a live production network, okay, that, that offers certain features out of the gate. Uh, since 2014, defendants have dispersed at least 4.05 billion XRP, uh, about 500 million through other XRP distributions. In addition, Larson beginning in 2015 and Garlinghouse beginning in 2017 directly participated in the offering by selling their own holdings of XRP into the same market as Ripple's market sales, typically following the same manner of sale. Okay. So I know Larson uh, had some like charity initiatives that he was basically giving away or selling XRP. He did something with one of the universities for, uh, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Uh, he put out, put out money to uh, put up a surveillance network around San Diego to, you know, I guess fix the problem of uh, homeless people dropping needles and shitting on the street down there because, you know, the liberals have this all figured out. Um, so I don't know how much of that is went into his bank account or, you know, some other asset versus was used to, uh, for charitable works, you know, regardless of what you think about what he's doing with it. That's how it was intended. And I think that was a genuine, uh, thing. <coughs> okay. Garlinghouse though, I have a pretty big fucking problem with what he did here, but we'll get to that. Uh, Larson and his wife sold over 1.7 billion XRP to public investors in the market and netted at least $450 million from those sales. You want to know why price doesn't go up? There's 450 million reasons right there. From April 2017 through December 2019, while an affiliate of Ripple as CEO, Garlinghouse sold over 320 million, 21 million XRP he had received from Ripple to public investors in the market generating approximately 150 million US dollars from those sales. Yeah, yeah. So April 2017 through the end of 2019, Garlinghouse was selling XRP while fucking going on TV and telling us I'm very long XRP. I'm very long Bitcoin, I'm very long XRP. Well, Brad, where the fuck did you buy the Bitcoin? Did you sell XRP? to dump it in Bitcoin, because that's what it seems like here. And don't you think this was like, I don't know, maybe fucking important thing to disclose when you're up on stage, 
telling everybody how long you are in Bitcoin. We'll see just, or in XRP, because we're going to see just how long, long is for you. <sighs> Defendants offered and sold XRP to any person without restricting offers or sales to persons who had a use for XRP. Well, again, that's where the SEC's narrative falls apart. You can use uh, XRP, just like you can use Bitcoin or Ethereum. Well, okay, not Ethereum, but most cryptocurrencies out there because they have these inherent traits that make it a valuable uh, resource in the marketplace. Partic particularly given that little to no use existed until Ripple. Uh, subsidized some use operations in recent months as described below without restricting anyone's ability to resell their XRP to investors within the United States or elsewhere. Uh, investors in the U.S. defendants' own goals of achieving as widespread a distribution of XRP as possible, which was necessary to promote an aftermarket of buyers and sellers of XRP. Uh, okay, yes, yes. Uh, but you also, if you're going to provide global liquidity, you have to have a market of buyers and sellers of XRP. What they're trying to paint the picture of is Ripple was doing this uh, just to be able to dump their bags on these bag holders and they don't really have any intention of providing this product that the, the financial sector is going to use. And that's simply not the case, okay? All right, defendants sold approximately 14.6 billion XRP so here's the various uh, distribution amounts, 4 billion in market sales, 5 billion in institutional sales, 4 billion in other distributions where they gave XRP out directly, Larson 1.7 and Brad uh, 321 million, 14.6 billion total. Ripple conducted market sales by paying at least four entities commission paid in XRP for executing Ripple sales to the public on digital asset trading platforms. So they're paying off exchanges with this. Of course, that's fucking par for the course. These exchanges are so slimy. I've tried to deal with them and they're just, yeah, yeah, just leave it at that. Uh, information about how to buy XRP was on their website. That's something that's been cited in all these lawsuits. Larson and Garlinghouse had financial decision-making authority, how much XRP to sell, communicated to traders uh, as an overall percentage of XRP's daily trading volume. Well, they have to have some metric and they're trying to give some certainty to the marketplace. Here's what we're doing. Of course, you know, they had all this other shit going on with their personal sales that they're not disclosing, which were fucking significant, you know. Ripple and Larson tried to make inst uh, institutional sales to obtain essential funding for Ripple's operations and develop a speculative trading market in XRP. Ripple viewed the, the institutional sales as the linchpin of its strategy to generate speculative interest in XRP from public investors. So, yeah, um, we are kind of the, uh, well, okay. I, I think I, what they're saying is they're selling to these institutional clients to sucker in all of the, the general public, the speculative uh, investors, to, to sell to them. Like, that's what they're doing here. And yeah, I, I, you know, I think they're making a valid point here because we're going to go through some of these and you can see who these institutional investors are and what they were paying for this XRP. Another thing I'm rather pissed off about.
because they've almost straight up lied about this. Ripple's institutional sales of XRP were indicative of XRP's broader capital market potential, is what Ripple stated. Um, sold XRP for investment to influential players in the digital asset space, so influencers. Uh, I'm sure they're pointing at, uh, like, um, Roger Ver right there. Uh, market makers, dealers, and blockchain-focused private investment funds looking to create an XRP-based fund or include XRP in their fund. Michael Arrington, probably in that list as well, as along with some others. Uh, Ripple conducted institutional sales through XRP2, which applied for a license with the uh, New York Department of Financial Services. Uh, units of Ripple's vir virtual currency to institutional and other in accredited investors who, were, who are purchasing XRP for speculative purposes. Ripple made many of the XRP institutional sales at a discount from XRP market prices. Now, Brad goes on fucking TV and says, no, they pay the market rate. We don't sell at a discount, but that turns out to be complete and utter bullshit. Discounts between 4 and 30% of the market price. The agreements typically provided no restrictions on the buyer's ability to resell XRP Provided only brief lockup periods of typically three to 12 months or limited the buyer's ability to resell quantities of XRP that could potentially lower XRP's trading price, but otherwise, absolutely no restrictions. Like, <laughs> what are they trying to say here? This is the dumbest paragraph in this entire thing. Provided no restrictions, except for all these restrictions. So, they did. <clears throat> However, what they're telling us is that they were not buying at a discount, which is, pisses me off because here's what was happening. Ripple expected that most, if not all, of institutional sales buyers would sell their XRP into the public market and try to protect XRP's trading price by limiting the amounts that could be resold by selling at discounts. Ripple incentivized these buyers to seek to sell their XRP into the public markets in order to realize what was essentially a guaranteed profit. So here, you know, the SEC's saying, this was a scam. They were selling uh, to these institutional clients at a discount up to 30% with some kind of lockup period or some kind of, you know, when, when they actually went with a percentage of sales, that was somebody that would actually use it like uh, R3, I think is, is probably the best example of that. And the other ones though, they're buying at a discount to hold it and then dump basically. And the SEC is saying this is a guaranteed profit. But if you're holding three, six, 12 months, there's nothing fucking at all guaranteed that you're going to be profitable over that amount of time in crypto. I mean, you can hardly guarantee that over a week. So let me get rid of my email here so that doesn't happen again. Sorry, guys. Um, so that's kind of a claim that I think really uh, doesn't stand up and shouldn't stand up. Okay, at price discounts of up to 30% below XRP market prices. So again, they're getting a huge discount. That's, that's pretty shitty for them to do that and, then come, and for Brad to come out on stage and tell us that they pay the market price. Fuck you, Brad. From at least 2016 through 2019, Investor B paid Ripple $6.4 million. The first 500000 it obtained a 10% discount uh, from XRP market prices. September 28, 2018, Ripple entered into an agreement with a Japanese entity, that's SBI, of course, 
um, to, and their goal is, you know, get this out to as many, uh, as many people using it as possible, meaning banks and financial institutions and so forth. They're trying to say, you know, they're trying to play it or imply that, well, they're just furthering the scam to more retail suckers. Investor C uh, sales agreement, $1 billion worth of XRP uh, available for purchases to institutional investor C from November 1st, 2018 through November 1st, 2021, 800 million of which was offered at prices discounted between 15 and 30% below XRP's market price. So once again, yeah, no, they were given steep fucking discounts and basically lying to us about it. Now Brad's going to say, well, I was talking about that specific one, not all of them, but I think that's disingenuous thing to say if that's what he's going to come back with. Uh, okay. And, you know, we also have, uh, there's exchanges that all have a billion XRP sitting on the, you know, in their cold wallet. And I think these are some of those investors. Investor C sales agreement uh, to limit the amount not to exceed 10 basis points of average daily volume of XRP trading. I'm guessing that's maybe R3, their deal that their investor C um let's see ripple funded uh its dual xrp market creating and company financing goals by transferring xrp to third parties as compensation ripple understood that these parties would in turn sell their xrp to the public markets and they're talking 100 percent there about moneygram right which is another frustrating one because they told us that they were paying market fees, that these they were getting these market development fees only after the SEC made them change it as a CORBA expense so it would show up on the books, even though it's really not a CORBA expense. Um, and then they later had to disclose that they, or it later came out in like a follow-up interview or something that they were getting paid in XRP. And that's when I brought up the point, well, what the fuck, guys? If you're, if you're given MoneyGram... $18 million worth of XRP a quarter, or so not that much. Generally, it was uh, 12 to 14, sometimes 15, 19 million, I think was the top. If you're giving them that much, that many millions of dollars in XRP, and you know they're going to immediately put it on the open market, why are you publishing this fucking uh, XRP markets report talking about how tr we need to be transparent and while you're meanwhile behind the scenes dumping millions of dollars worth of XRP into the market and pretending like that shit's not happening. Like I don't while selling at a discount on top of it and implying that these are maybe financial institutions when they're not, there are people looking to fuck somebody over in the next trade. Between December 2016 and at least May 2019, Ripple uh, granted certain executives $900 million in XRP. That's where, I guess, his uh, Chris Larson's, well, we just can't give XRP out. I'm going to have to keep it all because I'm the hero here taking this risk for you guys. <laughs> all right. Yeah, bro. Uh, Ripple Agent 3, Garlinghouse, $150 million uh, and $500 million XRP, respectively. So... Uh, this agent three, the VP, uh, maybe Marcus Treacher, or um, I don't know, don't remember who it is, but he got, he or she got 150 million and Garlinghouse got 500 million. 
May 29, 2019, Ripple has transferred approximately $521 million to Garlinghouse, of which he sold $321 million, leaving him with $200 million. And that's his, I'm very long, XRP. You fucking sold 60% of your bag, Brad, and you're standing up there on stage. And you probably put it in fucking Bitcoin, which has done very well for you. And in context of XRP, that was nice nice to take money out of xrp and put it into bitcoin and you're going out on stage telling us how long you are on xrp now 200 million is that a long position yes so is it technically a true statement yes but it's also fucking disingenuous to not mention that you're selling xrp and that you've sold more than you've held you just I lost tremendous respect for Brad after reading this bullshit right here. In late 2018, Ripple began to market on-demand liquidity. Oh, this is why I'll never be invited to swell, if you guys were wondering. <laughs> on-demand liquidity, X-Rapid. To encourage adoption of ODL, Ripple paid XRP uh, to both the money transmitting business and certain market makers that supported the product of their efforts. Uh... Okay, so again, this is talking about MoneyGram and they're misrepresenting what MoneyGram is getting paid to do, okay? They're saying, oh, they're getting paid to use it. What Ripple's actually doing, this ties in with Miguel, which I think we're gonna come to here in a little bit. What he was trying to do was develop volume that was at a significant level so that uh, larger institutional players can come in and start using that liquidity for uh, transactions, right? To complete transactions using ODL or RippleNet. Okay. And what they're saying is much more that, oh, they were just paying everybody off to give the impression that this thing was valuable and that this was going to be used. And then that way they could dump more XRP on bag holders. And I don't think that's true really at all. Okay, because uh, I do think Ripple is uh, genuine in their efforts. The way they've gone about it, though, clearly pretty shitty in, in a lot of ways, in my opinion. Okay, Ripple chose to compensate these entities with XRP directly. Well, in the case of MoneyGram, that's because they could fucking use it. So my question to um, MoneyGram, well, we'll get there in a second. Let me just finish this. Okay, December 2018 through July 2020, Ripple issued at least 324 million XRP as fees, rebates, and incentives associated with ODL. So they had their market maker program achieve certain volume levels because again, Miguel's approach was build volume, build trading volume, and then we'll have the depth of liquidity for market makers to come in and use. And then once we get that together, then we can bring in our institutional players, the banks and stuff, that have, <clears throat> you know, you had one at Swell that was literally talking, I could send billions a day down one corridor, right? But the, the system can't handle that because you can't, uh, you know, uh, buy billions on one end and sell billions a day on the other end of XRP right now because the markets aren't developed enough. They're not liquid enough to handle that level of volume, right? So what Miguel's approach was is, Let's, let's give incentives for volume, let's build volume, let's work with MoneyGram to build volume, and then let's, at the same time, behind the scenes, work with the market makers to get them in there participating in the system. Let's incentivize those guys so that they have a reason to abandon the FX markets that they know that they're comfortable with 
and come try out this new crypto thing. That was their strategy, right? And that's a, that's a reasonable strategy, and, and it supports their actions here. And the SEC is trying to paint it, I think, uh, completely inaccurate, uh, disingenuously, or uh, trying to paint a really um, inaccurate picture of what they were actually doing. Okay. Uh, this XRP was valued at approximately $67 million at the time of Ripple, Ripple's payments. I believe that's what they've—this is all MoneyGram— uh, entities typically have resold all the XRP on the same day. Ripple took no steps to ensure that these entities intended to hold XRP as an investment. So I think the key question here is where did MoneyGram sell? Did they use it via ODL and actually send payments to Mexico and sell it into, <clears throat> into Bitso? Or did they sell it immediately on Bitstamp without actually even using it. Because the first one supports Ripple's narrative of, uh, you know, we gave this to MoneyGram, they used it in the conduct of business in exactly the way that we said it would be used one day and is being used. Uh, the other one supports more of the uh, SEC's narrative that uh, they're giving this out to these partners and these partners are just dumping on bag holders and therefore it's it's actually they didn't say fraud. It's selling an unlicensed security and this is part of the scam, right? They're trying to fool all these retail investors. Okay. In 2015 and 2017, Ripple issued at least 2 billion XRP as con contributions to RippleWorks uh, to invest in, among other things, XRP-related projects to further Ripple's goals of achieving widespread uh, trading of XRP in the markets. And I believe this became, I um, can't remember if this is like the charity arm or if this actually became uh, XSpring and then eventually Ripple X. I'm not, not exactly sure of the history there, but okay. Ripple took no steps to ensure that RippleWorks intended to hold XRP as an investment. To the contrary, Ripple gave XRP to RippleWorks so it would sell XRP into the public markets. And from mid-2015 to present, uh, enlisted the market maker to sell approximately 693 million XRP to the public on RippleWorks' behalf for approximately 176 million. Um, okay, let's, let me see. In order to chime in with different thoughts. Another example involves RippleWorks' eventual investment into a fund that wished to invest in digital assets, the XRP fund, and Ripple's loan of XRP to that fund so that it could engage in market-making activities. So again, you know, taking steps, using their resources to further develop uh, their primary stated use case, right? It didn't work because they were trying the uh, the old technology, the old school approach in this new paradigm. <clears throat> Third party incentives through XSpring uh, distributed. I think that was the charity that RippleWorks is the charity arm. Like that they gave the 40 million or whatever to Ellen DeGeneres and uh, funded all the school programs and stuff. And, you know, like how long are they really supposed to hold this stuff? on the one hand, so looking at it in Ripple's defense, are they not supposed to sell any? I mean, that's what the SEC is saying, but uh, at some point they have to distribute this uh, asset out into the world. They picked various ways to do that. 
tried not to centralize it, you know, all in one way. They gave some away. Of course, some of it ends up in the marketplace. A lot, most of it ended up in the marketplace being sold to investors of, you know, various sorts. At the same time, uh, you know, how do they build liquidity without doing that? So it's not, there's not a, I, I don't think the SEC could answer that question really and truly. Because to them, there's no use case for it. This whole thing's a sham is kind of what they're suggesting. There are no banks. There aren't. There is no on-demand liquidity. Nobody's ever used it for that and on and on. And it's, uh, that's just not true. Okay. <clears throat> Distributed over 776 million XRP to at least 27 different entities or projects with the shared expectation that these entities would resell XRP to further Ripple's goals. So that's the... Uh, whole Ripple X, X Spring, uh, in hopes of achieving Ripple's stated goal of working to develop a use for XRP. See, that's again not true. Uh, Ripple had its core. We're going to focus on cross-border payments and removing friction from payments for institutional clients. That's it. But then there's still micropayments. There's still web monetization. There's still gaming. There's still all of these other areas where XRP could be very useful. Uh, and so they took this 1.38 billion in XRP sales and took 600 million and poured it back into uh, some of those ideas and they're going about it various different ways. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not going along with the SEC narrative here. Uh, I, they're making a point that, yeah, some of this was dumped on retail, but at the same time, how do you build this ecosystem without doing that, right? And it's, they're saying, they're again implying that there's just no use for XRP for a digital asset outside of, out of the box, which is not true. And that uh, they're just trying to find a use case and they just can't find one. It's like, I'm, I'm getting streamed pennies right now. When this video goes live, I will get streamed money, XRP, to me. That's a, that's a real-world use case, and that's one of the things that has come out of this. So, uh. <clears throat> Ripple used XSpring as yet another way to get XRP into the hands of public investors through conduits while obtaining the added benefit of incentivizing third parties to help Ripple. Yeah, see, I mean, sure, Ripple gets a benefit because of the added liquidity, but they're really trying to change the world here. I mean, if you know anything about what Coil's doing, what web monetization, grant for the web, all of these things, they're working to change the paradigm and benefit like humans on the planet Earth globally with what they're doing. And you guys are trying to portray it as if they're just in it for themselves. Of course, they're self-motivated by greed. Who's not? Okay, that's fine. Uh, did they, you know, act maliciously? And in some ways, it's almost like, yeah, I think they did. Uh, in some other ways, I think what the SEC is trying to put forth here, way out of line. And I think this is one of them. Okay. <clears throat> November 2018, services and marketing agreement. Entity would receive a bi-monthly development service fee of 5 million XRP and could identify additional parties that could receive XRP as incentives. I'm not sure what this one is. Um, oh, you know what? 
going back to the ledger, we saw that uh, that escrow being set up where they were dumping five million. So that's what they're talking about. Sir, okay, so that was for services and marketing, which one entity promised to develop certain development services to promote technologies of interest to Ripple. Huh. Okay, uh, that mystery solved. We were kind of wondering what that was, what that was for, who was getting that. Uh, provided that these uh, additional parties agreed to abide by Ripple-mandated parameters for their XRP uh, trading volumes by August 2020, Ripple had paid the entity at least 364 million XRP, for which the entity distributed 178 million to other parties typically approved by Ripple. Hmm. Uh, Ripple agreed to pay a company up to 17.5 million in XRP if this company met certain milestones relating to the integration of XRP into the company's systems. That's probably Bitso. Um, they had to do some upgrades and things to get their exchange up to par to integrate with RippleNet and you know handle larger order volumes and so forth. We've covered the the interview with Daniel Vogel uh, that Masari did. So 163 million XRP to that entity, which I think is probably Bitso. Uh, January 28th through December 2019, uh, Ripple sold at least 1.63 billion XRP when certain entities exercised options. Uh, 2016, Ripple entered into an agreement to buy up to 5 billion XRP uh, with, a, with a firm that optioned to buy up to 5 billion XRP at a discounted price in exchange for efforts to help Ripple develop a use case for XRP. Again, no. Um, that's R3 that they're talking about. What they were uh, going to use it for is to settle in the network. And they, uh, again, here down here at the bottom, option investor B purchased at least uh, 1.04 billion XRP in 2019. So that was the settlement. That's when Katow from SBI stepped in and said, listen, y'all figure this shit out in these court cases and we're moving the fuck on. Uh, so they ended up with a billion, which is what a lot of these other exchanges have. You know, there's, I think six or seven of these that um, are sitting on a billion XRP, which is, has always caught my attention. I'm like, what is this for? Why, why do all these exchanges have a billion XRP? Okay. Um, and again, that's like real world. Uh, that's to give to them to hold on to that's exactly what they've done with it and to use in the real world for on behalf of their customers within their system and, and that's i think going to be huge in the future right okay listing and trading incentives with respect to xrp ripple uh, paid these platforms a fee typically in xrp to permit the buying and selling of xrp on their systems and sometimes incentives for achieving volume metrics so again, their boost program, they publicly advertised that, although we didn't know how much. 17 million XRP in exchange for the platform's agreement to make XRP available to buy and sell on its platform, as well as rebates on trading fees up to 60,000 per month for three months and up to 150,000 in incentive payments per month for three months to the top traders of XRP for other assets on the platform. And like, it's kind of frustrating to read this because this was all Miguel's plan that failed and they had to go a different direction with it. Uh, and this is money coming out of like retail pockets. So 
I, I see the point the SEC is making here, right? There's, like I've said in the beginning, there's two sides to this argument, and I think both can have points to make. October 2016 to October 2017, Ripple distributed approximately 28 million XRP to these platforms with then current market value of 6.8 million. Uh, increased trading volume would create momentum is uh, what some inter internal documents showed. Uh, Ripple tried repeatedly and unsuccessfully to persuade that digital asset trading firm to list XRP on its exchange by offering to cover implementation costs paying rebates and brokering intros into large XRP holders uh, for custody. Undaunted by these initial failures, Ripple uh, Agent 3 emailed two owners of the firm directly in July 2017. Uh, this is the, you know, Treacher, Marcus Treacher, or whoever it was. I should have looked this up before, but uh, copying Garlinghouse and asked, does a $1 million cash payment move the needle for a Q3 listing? Basically a bribe. <laughs> That's not so great for them. That doesn't look very good at all, Brad Garlinghouse. Fuck. Um, at the same time, this is the fucking Wild West, right? And we're learning, uh, what was it, Goldman Sachs gang or, or whoever it was had a multi-billion dollar bribery budget, like $1.5 in Indonesia to, to bribe officials down there. So, uh, yeah, these exchanges are uh, not the most forthright businesses in the world today. I think that's a pretty safe fucking thing to say. <laughs> All right. Uh, like Ripple and Garlinghouse, Larson also attempted to strike a delicate balance between maximizing profits from his XRP sales while not depressing the price of XRP. Larson offered and sold his XRP to investors all over the world without marketing or restricting offers or sales to persons who had a use for XRP. Well, they're buying it because they want to use it, whatever that is, as an investment vehicle, maybe as a uh, utility vehicle, maybe they had the option for both. Larson intends to continue selling, shown in an email, uh, widely held view that over time it's better to have Widely held assets, so continued reduction of Ripple and founder holdings is likely constructive. And he's making a good point there, right? Again, the more, uh, the more they continue to hold, the more centralized people can point the finger and say, no, you're centralized. Look how much Chris Larson has. Look how much Ripple has. All these things. So they have to distribute this stuff out. Are they supposed to give it away? Maybe they should have. That's kind of what Jed wanted to do. Um, I don't, I don't know here, but uh, in Ripple's defense at the same time, that's a perfectly valid point that Chris is making and they had to go about it some way. You can't have global liquidity with an asset that you haven't distributed. Simple as that. In uh, Ripple in 2015, Garlinghouse later resold significant quantities of XRP to amass profits well over a hundred million dollars. The following sales took place with Garlinghouse working in coordination with Ripple to develop and maintain a liquid XRP markets that the defendants could monetize. So here they're kind of pointing the finger and saying this was all a ploy to, um, you know, have these liquid markets so that 
founders, Brad and the other founders could dump their holdings. And of course, there's no mention of Jed who's openly dumping every single day. He's stopped since this lawsuit was filed, but he's been dumping and dumping and dumping as much as he can. Why hasn't he been brought up yet, right? Because uh, it doesn't fit their narrative. Okay. Um, and I don't, I, I mean, were they taking advantage of what they were building? I think that's fair to say. Were they building it so that they could take advantage? I think that's way over line and not true at all. Okay. In December 2017, Garlinghouse used the market maker who uh, developed trading bots on multiple worldwide digital asset trading platforms to sell his XRP to the public. So he's got trading bots out there to dump his bags on us, on you. Um, at the same, you know, in his defense, I guess you could say he's wanting to uh, not affect market prices and that's the best way to do it. And he's selling a lot. I think the biggest problem here for Brad is that he didn't disclose this and said, I'm very, very long XRP <clears throat> while not saying, mentioning to all of us that he sold 60% of his bags and probably tossed it into Bitcoin. Pretty fucking shitty. If you ask me without marketing or restricting offers, offers to people who had a use. So again, you see how critical this whole use thing is. They want you to think there's only one use and it's only Ripple that can provide that use. And therefore, it's a security. It's a common enterprise. The investors had an expectation that Ripple would deliver them returns. Okay. Defendants uh, offers and sales of XRP in the offering occurred in a market that they had largely created. Uh, I think that's true. Consistent with their dual purposes of raising funds from their XRP sales and managing the liquidity of the XRP market. <clears throat> Let me think about that one for a minute. Raising fund. Okay, so see, they're not managing liquidity. They're trying to build liquidity. Uh, they're trying to they're trying to build liquidity on these global exchanges, on exchanges globally, so that they can use it for their stated purpose, removing the friction from payments. Right, and I think again the SEC is misrepresenting here and is bending the kind of blurring going crossing the line there a little bit these efforts also include timing uh, the the prices and amounts of xrp sales to achieve what ripple viewed as desirable trading volume or price levels and fluctuations with respect to xrp which is also true uh, and the reason that they're doing that is because when they're when a on-demand liquidity order comes in and moves the market it makes their uh, transaction more expensive, right? So they have every incentive to provide as stable a price of XRP as possible for their customers using ODL so that, uh, you know, slippage is really around the timing of, you know, I placed the order on Tuesday, motherfuckers at Swift didn't deliver it until Friday and the FX rates changed by this much and it cost me a, an extra 10%, right? That's slippage. Uh, moving the market, you know, Ripple's exposure is like 60 seconds when you use their network. <clears throat> but if the order, you know, if you're trying to dump or if you're trying to buy uh, $10 million worth of XRP, that's going to drive the price up. And then on the other end, if you're trying to sell $10 million of XRP, that's going to cause the price to dump. So 
they need that and those are you know reasonable levels for transactions that they need to be able to process for the big banks um so they are trying what that statement is saying is true but it's because they're trying to create an environment where there is uh depth of liquidity so that these larger transactions can be pushed through and that was miguel's whole strategy build trading volume bring in the market makers and then bring in the banks like those three and now they've scrapped that because it wasn't working they they realized they spent a lot of money a lot of xrp trying to make that model work it didn't work uh they brought in somebody new who came up with a completely different approach where they're sourcing liquidity from the existing infrastructure the exchanges uh that are trading crypto today and and you utilizing those tools and so forth to go about this a different way and i think they're going to be very successful with what they're doing there <clears throat> okay uh ripple sought to maximize the amount it could earn from the xrp market sales while minimizing volatility and any downward pressure on xrp's market price caused by ripples constant injections of new xrp in the market to raise operating funds and again, I think they're trying to distribute it out into the ecosystem to bootstrap liquidity. Uh, they were trying to build depth of liquidity. That's how you do it. You got to have it out there floating around. Uh, at times, Ripple, and again, that was kind of an ill-fated attempt that didn't really work. And then they scrapped it and went a different route, right? So, but the SEC wants to paint it as the whole thing was a scam. And I, I don't think that's... Gen, that's uh i don't think that's an accurate representation uh ripple publicly described its efforts as meant to protect the public's investment in xrp uh starting in 20 late 2015 <clears throat> ripple directed the market maker to buy or sell xrp on occasions strategically timed around ripple's announcements this is another pretty shitty part right here <clears throat> to account for the volume impact of XRP trading. As a Ripple executive told the market maker by email on September 20th, 2016, so clearly the SEC has gotten emails from Ripple, probably handed over voluntarily as part of this investigation going on since April of 2019 that they haven't fucking told us about for almost two years. Fuck you, Ripple. Um... To accomplish this, Ripple had an internal XRP markets team. Now, this is Miguel Vias's team, uh, 10 people on that team, plus Miguel, that monetized XRP's price and volume uh, daily and regularly communicated with XRP's market makers about Ripple's XRP sales strategy, which relied on selling XRP in amounts no greater than a certain percentage of XRP's daily volume, generally between 10 and 25 basis points. So they were in there trying to build liquidity the sec is saying no no they were just dumping on bag holders but the whole reason i think that they're working with market makers is because they're a core functionality of on-demand liquidity of of RippleNet, of what they're trying to create and they went about it the wrong way uh they eventually you know let miguel go uh brought in somebody else and went a different route and I think the SEC is trying to skewer them on this, and it's because they don't understand what was actually being done behind the scenes, right? <clears throat> okay. 
Starting in 2017, the latest Larson and Garlinghouse participated in meetings with or were apprised of discussions by the XRP Markets team in which they discussed adjustments to Ripple strategy and recommendations regarding the amount of Ripple to sell. So, and of course, they're meeting with Miguel to like figure out their strategy because they're also leading the sales teams who are out talking to customers and getting numbers on like, where do we need to be? What kind of liquidity do you need? What's your average uh, transaction, right? So it makes sense that this kind of coordination is going on. April 11, 2016, Ripple also directed the market maker to buy XRP in the open market with the goal of targeting 0.008 incrementally over the course of two days while capping activity at 5% of daily trading volume, among other things. So they had to have metrics somehow, and these were their metrics. I don't really... Yeah, I'm not really getting on board with this. Uh, August 2016, Ripple employee reported to others uh, at Ripple, quote, the, the, quote, robust discussion activity he had seen on the XRP chat thread, which included, quote, positive feedback with respect to understanding that Ripple has a long-term strategy in which XRP is one of the few big bets, the notable market activity for XRP in recent days. So they're in there looking at XRP chat, and kind of like coordinating good news and announcements and so forth, manipulating the community. And there's also, uh, you know, I've heard a rumor that the person who started that board got millions of XRP from Ripple for hosting XRP chat. So here it is, you know, that doesn't look good for them, especially if that's true, that they're paying this uh, board operator, XRP, and getting these, you know, positive news and so forth, and then using this kind of, this forum to manipulate public sentiment, right? The thesis is to show a period of consistent buying from an account that is known to be a consistent seller. Let me back up and read this. Uh, their VP of Finance then asked Garlinghouse and Agent 3 if, if they discussed whether we should turn off buying for now with this news and the higher volume Ripple Agent 3 responded. Okay, so somebody's coming in. When was this? 2019, I'm guessing. No, it's still 2016. Okay, so this was, I guess, I don't know when that was. Um, somebody's bringing up, hey, should we turn off sales because we've got the volume that we were looking for, right? So this was what we set out to accomplish with this. We've got it. We should probably stop selling. He's saying the thesis is to show a period of consistent buying from an account that is known to be a consistent seller. The intended impact of the buying is not to move the price, but rather to provide confidence in the market, which in turn will move the price. I, that doesn't make any sense to me. The following month, September 2016, Ripple uh, directed the market maker to place XRP buy and sell orders around the time of announcements Ripple made that month referring to Ripple's achievements, though neither announcement concerned XRP. So again, those are gonna be probably X current, X via, new customers signing up, that sort of thing, uh, who are not ready to use XRP. Why? Because the SEC hasn't given regulatory fucking clarity. Um, but again, telling the market makers to place buy and sell orders around there is to support uh, yeah, I guess it is hard to say that they're supporting 
uh, ODL customers because they're not really even, don't even really have them yet. Uh, but at the same time, I think what they're trying to do is, you know, they're publishing this markets report, or I guess they hadn't started that even yet. So yeah, pretty shady in the beginning. Um, eventually they started publishing these metrics and so forth and talking about building depth of liquidity and so on and so forth. Um, and you know, what they're doing with the market maker kind of makes sense, but I guess from this one, I can kind of see what the SEC is pointing out here as well that they're uh they were using this market maker just to manipulate the market and drive the price up yeah which is fair or you know maintain some level of volume by creating interest or something along those lines they were doing whatever they could to make this thing work and i think they probably crossed some lines in the process with some of these specifics okay 2016, Garlinghouse and Larson uh, Ripple wanted to, be, quote, better understand the impact of our purchases of XRP over the past week. So this is the VP of Finance emailed the market maker asking, uh, you know, saying, hey, I spoke with uh, Brad and, and Chris. Ripple wants to better understand the impact our purchases of XRP over the past week. We should use our full 300K designated for XRP purchases in the first 24 hours post-announcement. So here they are timing buybacks to drive the price up after an announcement to create hype. This is classic fucking pump and dump. Fuck you, Ripple. At the same time, in their defense, <laughs> they're trying to like get XRP up to a new plateau, up to a new plateau, because their goal is to at the time was to build this depth of liquidity so that they could bring these banks in. So that they had a uh, suitable environment for the customers that they were courting and talking to at the time. <clears throat> 32 of 71 were almost halfway. <laughs> Internally, Ripple executives frequently expressed concern over XRP's price and planned proactive steps to protect the market Garlinghouse raised concerns about XRP being squarely left out of a recent market rally and asked whether Ripple's uh, recent XRP sales were impacting the market. And I think that's that was a genuine concern that they had, right? Like, we don't want to dump so much that uh, that's 2017. Yeah, so that's as the price is declining, they're kind of, are we selling too much? And they did adjust their strategy after this. Uh, 2019, Ripple's head of global institutional markets reminded certain Ripple employees that Ripple viewed itself as, quote, responsible stewards of XRP. She expressed concerns about the impact of XRP's price from increased XRP supply and recommended buying XRP back because she was very worried about XRP at 20 cents and was dreading an upcoming report referring to quarterly reports Ripple began publishing the XRP market reports. Uh, if Ripple didn't take swift, creative action now. So I think I know who that is. That, or that's Miguel's replacement, basically, in September 2019. Um, so she's, you know, that kind of supports the narrative uh, that I thought was going on behind the scenes. Miguel was trying his approach. She was brought in to kind of look at what he was doing. Is this going to work? No, it's not going to work. And by the way... You guys are selling too much XRP, Brad. You need to cut this shit back. Uh, you know, we're at a 20 cents is too low. It needs to 
we're running the risk of really seeing the price crash and that's going to cause a loss of confidence in the asset right which is not good for the work that they're doing with the banks and fis so i think she's like a good voice that came in here and and like turned this thing around right and i don't yeah they did some shady stuff but again i don't think that was their uh primary goal i think that happened along the way they were trying to figure this thing out and eventually they did but it took a while okay uh defendants did not disclose publicly this xrp buying and selling strategy uh good thing they didn't too because it would have people would have been fucking furious with them over it um but Ripple did publicly tout other actions, quote, only sells or transfers XRP to financial institutions and accredited investors who bring payment volume and or FX liquidity to Ripple. Well, that sounds like a load of bullshit, given what we've just gone through up above, where they're selling at a 30 up to a 30 fucking percent discount with a lockup period. And these guys are buying it, hoping they're going to be able to dump it. That's pretty much what it fucking seems like. And then y'all were representing these as financial institutions and leading people to think that these are banks or payment processors or, or market makers stepping in. But the reality is you guys were paying them because again, they were using the old paradigm. It wasn't working. It's not a good fit. And, but ripple, I think honestly believed and, and thought that that was going to work because that was Miguel Vias's plan. Okay, June 2020, Ripple employees prepared and delivered an internal presentation uh, for Garlinghouse and Larson in which the employees highlighted, quote, the, uh, that XRP began underperforming Bitcoin since early May 2020, partly because of Ripple's sales of XRP. The employees proposed supply-limiting tactics such as uh, Ripple's buying back XRP, and that's 100% Brianne Madigan, who is uh, this, this person up here that's talking about uh, these sales having an impact and worried about 20 cents. She was the one that was brought in to check, uh, to look over what Miguel was doing, said, nope, he's going the wrong route. They got rid of him, put her in. She brought in uh, another Goldman Sachs gangster to fix this problem, and I think they have. Okay, as Garlinghouse explained in an internal email on May 16th, 2017, XRP investors were concerned that Ripple could sell its then uh, 61.68 billion XRP in the market at any time, which is true. The, the impression was, well, they can just, uh, they can dump and they can exit scam whenever they want, which, I, okay, here's what the SEC is saying about this. If Ripple filed a registration statement and quarterly annual reports, as it would have been required to do, Ripple's sales would have been publicly disclosed. They were not. I mean, they were, they are, and they are not. So they are on the blockchain. They're not disclosed by Ripple, but they are somewhat disclosed by the blockchain. You know, like we knew about the 5 million. We just didn't know what it was for. We knew about the billions going to these various exchanges. We just didn't know exactly why it was. And in some cases we still don't. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I kind of agree and disagree with that statement from the SEC. Both Larson and Garlinghouse were instrumental to the formation of the XRP uh, escrow by developing and ultimately approving the idea. 
Um, in other words, by announcing the XRP escrow, defendants sought to encourage investors to buy and sell XRP without fear that Ripple could cause the price to crash. No, they sought to um, dispel the FUD that was going around that was affecting them trying to talk to banks about their product and about their service when they go into Google and type in a search and uh, Ripple is a scam pops up as a suggested search results, right? Because of this kind of stuff. So they came up with a way to neutralize that and say, okay, we'll lock it up, cryptographically lock it to where we only have a billion a month. And then uh, we'll take some, we'll use it and we'll put the rest back. And that's exactly what they've done. As though the XRP market was a functional market subject to ordinary supply and demand independent of the issuer, which they're saying, no, Ripple was in control of this whole thing. And I mean, to some extent they were, but I don't think that's a fair statement either. In doing so, defendants reminded investors of a fact they already knew that Ripple was committed to undertaking the efforts to increase XRP trading volume while supporting XRP's price, which is true. And they were doing that for their stated purpose of building liquidity in these markets so that their customers could come in and use it, right? Howie's decision, uh, definition of whether an instrument is an investment contract and therefore security is flexible rather than a static principle, one that is capable of adapting to meet the countless and variable schemes devised by those who seek to use the money of others on the promise of profit. So, you know, by that definition, I think that's what Ripple's done. Um, directors on the November 2013 uh, that, quote, speculators are speculating on Ripple Labs and that if you are holding XRP, you should want Ripple Labs to retain XRP for business development. Which also makes sense because it means they're vested in the ecosystem. Ripple acknowledged that uh, not only that XRP holders were speculating on Ripple's ability to deploy XRP to develop its businesses, but also that Ripple's interests align with other XRP holders' interests, which they do. You build utility and use cases, that makes me happy, right? On December uh, 2015, uh, Ripple requested that uh, Ripple requested disclosure of the risk that XRP could be deemed a security. Ripple requested that the issuer of a fund created to generate uh, investor exposure to XRP disclose the risk that XRP could be a security. Okay, so back in 2015, they had, uh, they wanted this fund that was going to allow people to buy in and invest in XRP to include a disclaimer that XRP could be deemed a security down the road, which is just a safe thing to do, right? Especially given the 2012 memo and so forth. Buyers were purchasing XRP for speculative purposes. Ripple publicly offered and sold XRP as an investment to a common enterprise that included Ripple's promise to undertake significant entrepreneurial and managerial efforts, including to create a liquid market for XRP, which would in turn increase demand for XRP and therefore its price. The problem with that, are, that's true, but the problem is that's not the only way that XRP could increase in value. They're not the only ones that can build on XRP. Anybody can build on the XRP ledger. It's an open source, decentralized, permissionless, trustless network, right? Ripple is the biggest actor. They have the most resources to do it, but it doesn't preclude anybody else from developing on it. 
Ripple's actions in the economic reality, XRP investors in the offering uh, had a reasonable expectation of profiting from Ripple's efforts to deploy investor funds to create a use for XRP and bring demand and value to their common enterprise. I think that's fair. <clears throat> Defendants repeatedly stated uh, publicly that they would undertake uh, significant efforts to develop and foster uses for XRP so that banks, financial intermediaries, and other specialized money transmitting businesses, which they did. Uh, defendants also persistently stated that partly, uh, partly to achieve the goal of widespread XRP trading, they would take steps to create, promote, and protect the market for trading XRP. Again, that's true, and I think that's what they were doing, or at least trying to do. These statements led reasonable investors to expect profits from Ripple, uh, Ripple's efforts on behalf of XRP. I, you know, I have to agree with that because that's I, when I learned about XRP, I see, okay, that's what these guys are doing. I don't, I didn't think that they guaranteed me anything. You know, there's a good chance they could fail and it doesn't work. But at the same time, my expectation is that Ripple's going to be successful, that they're going to drive utility in XRP on the XRP ledger, that is going to be a core component of the global financial system. And it's something that I want to hold for the long term. And now I've got Flare to go along with that, which actually has even more utility and adds all kinds of new use cases with smart contracts and being able to process basic business logic on chain. And it's an asset that you use, right? And you earn uh, a, a fee from staking it and providing liquidity and, and uh, doing exchanges between XRP and Flare and so forth. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's happened. They've, they've been delivering on that promise, whether the SEC wants to acknowledge it or not. The Ripple network was, uh, still is in its infancy and relatively unknown, but predicted increased speculative interest, which may have significant impacts on price. If the Ripple network became more well-known or used, in which case Ripple conduct concluded that uh, it expected the demand for XRP to be considerable. Uh, Ripple held its out, itself out to, to the key party who would uh, make these efforts with respect to XRP. Okay. <clears throat> now, back to David Schwartz, June 2016. He explained uh, in the XRP chat in response to the question, if Ripple failed, XRP died, that he didn't think it's likely that XRP would succeed without us, though it's possible. And again, back in 2016, I think that's probably a fair assessment. And I think um, David is being honest. I think he's an honest guy. Uh, I think he, you know, he's a very thoughtful, very particular and specific guy. And you really have to pay attention to what he's saying. And, and I think that's true. Nowadays, I think that's far less true than it was in 2016, because that's the way it goes. It's going to, if you develop something and you push it out, it's going to be completely centralized with you at some point until you start to grow the ecosystem, which is what Ripple set out to do and, uh, and did. Okay. But he continued while there are significant technical obstacles to using XRP as a bridge or vehicle currency, our XRP strategy is based on promoting it as a bridging currency to the banks and so forth through various strategies, including paying traders as uh, an incentive, which he's talking about their market, uh, market development program. 
I, I don't really see a problem with that either. 2017, uh, Schwartz represented in the XRP chat that Ripple was heavily focused on building up an awesome payments infrastructure, several strategies. Yep, they did, and they still do. We'll work to get XRP adopted for the purpose, new intermediary asset. Uh, why would that why would that be expected to create demand for XRP? And he's just kind of pointing out, it's just obvious. He's not telling people, hey, we're going to drive the price up of XRP. He's saying, if these things happen, and, it's, uh, <clears throat> and that's what we're working towards, then, you know, could that create demand for XRP? And then what would that do? And, you know, I don't have any problems with that either. Uh, this recognition has translated into significant improvements in both the liquidity, trading volume, and price of XRP. We saw nearly, nearly $6 billion in trading volume in May alone. I, for, I don't know why I highlighted that, but okay. 2017 public interview, Garling House explained, quote, priority, is, priority one is definitely around volume. Priority two, I would say, is XRP liquidity. Because again, that was Miguel's strategy. That's what they were trying to do, and that was a genuine effort, in my view. At the same time, uh, uh, you know, going against Ripple, I think, is them <clears throat> uh, timing, coordinating with the market maker to buy back XRP to drive price up around their announcements and to basically create hype. I, I think that's, they were doing it to drive up volume and attention and so forth to the project, but I think the way they went about it was they were in error and shouldn't have done that. Okay. Schwartz, uh, Ripple can justify spending a hundred. Okay. So here's another one where they're trying to crucify him and, and he's, he's just stating something. This is, this is fucking math people. Okay. So 2017, David Schwartz is says in this chat on Reddit, Ripple can justify spending a hundred million dollars on something if it would be expected to increase uh, the long-term price of XRP by a penny, which, you know what, if they're holding 500 billion, increasing the price by a penny is $500 million. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's just math. That's logic. Okay. Uh, there's no rational reason why Ripple would not continue to execute its publicly announced strategy to do everything we can to maximize the price of XRP over the over at least the time it takes us to sell the XRP we have. Ooh, that's not the best ending there, David. Um, yeah, I mean, they're the largest holder. They want to drive the price up, obviously. I mean, that's just basic logic, uh, as long as they're holding that XRP. And again, they've also stated that they never want to sell out of XRP, that they want to keep 25 to 30% and loan it. And that's exactly what they're doing. They're loaning XRP out to these various companies. Okay. Uh, we, Ripple, are focused on driving utility. That's true. De defendants promise to undertake significant efforts to develop and maintain a public market for XRP re uh, investors to resell XRP. I don't think that's fucking true at all. Like, I don't know where that's coming from, but I, like, I've never heard XRP Ripple say something to that effect, that they were going to guarantee me public markets. They're trying to grow the number of, of exchanges 
number of market makers, so forth, but never did I hear them say, you're gonna, I'm guaranteeing you a place to, to sell, buy and sell your XRP. Starting at least 2014, uh, Ripple also promised that it would undertake efforts to create, maintain, and protect secondary resale markets for XRP. Uh, which, yeah, they had to do that. Again, you got to bootstrap liquidity. You can't have a fucking global liquidity network without anybody holding the asset or trading it or having the ability to trade it. It's just fucking common sense. 2014, on the website, we will engage in distribution strategies that uh, we expect will result in stable or strengthening XRP exchange rate against other currencies. So again, they're just saying, they're communicating, we want to be a good steward for this. 2017 article on Ripple's website, Garlinghouse reminded investors that, quote, to build XRP liquidity, we have been mindful over the years about how we distribute XRP. That's a little fucking dubious, in my opinion. Our goal in distributing XRP is to incentivize actions that build trust, utility, and liquidity. Well, saying you're net long, Brad, while you're fucking not mentioning the fact that you've sold 60% of your bag and put a, a huge chunk of that into Bitcoin... Doesn't fucking do that, pal. Sorry. Second quarter of 2019, Ripple promised to focus institutional sales on markets where uh, the on-exchange liquidity for XRP is insufficient to meet institutional demand. So again, saying things that exactly align with their stated strategy and what they're trying to achieve. Purportedly leading to increased liquidity and listings on digital asset trading platforms in general. Again, yeah, stated goal, what they were trying to do. It has been begun purchasing XRP in the secondary market to ensure a healthy orderly XRP market. That's from the latest market report that I did a video on. Um, they're basically acting as their own market maker while they're building this new liquidity engine that's going to source liquidity from the exchanges themselves uh, and do it with an AI in real time and rebalance the payment flows and so forth. And SBI bought that company uh, that's a market maker, and they're going to no doubt plug them into this same liquidity engine and have them participate in the marketplace and, uh, you know, offer to buy and sell, you know, for these institutional clients. So that's exactly what they're doing. Ripple touted the ability of its team to succeed in its promised efforts. Well, what efforts did they promise? I don't really know. They said what they talked about what they're doing, what they're trying to do. I don't really, I can't recall where Ripple promised me they were going to drive the price up or they promised me uh, they were going to, uh, that, that the central banks were going to adopt them or they promised me that uh, Bank of America was going to adopt them or any of that bullshit. So I don't know why they're trying to play it off like they've promised us all these things. They haven't. Although Ripple has not sold a single XRP to any user, Ripple commented that, quote, good news for XRP kept coming uh, later in the spring with the announcement of a partnership with a facility to trade XRP uh, derivatives. That's 2016. So at that point, and again, that's a bit disingenuous because they were trialing XRP with the banks. The regulatory clarity prevented the banks from participating. So that's the SEC's fault. Uh, the value of digital assets will be driven by their utility. If they're solving a real problem, then there will be demand for the tokens. The price of the token will go up. That's basic logic, right? Like, that's a pretty reasonable thing to say. 
For XRP, we've seen because it's something that can really reduce the friction, and we're talking about a multi-trillion dollar problem. Yes, there's going to be demand for that. When you have a fixed supply and you see increased demand, prices go up. Again, he's doing along the same lines of what David was saying, uh, that if demand increases, it's, it's simple supply and demand. Is he guaranteeing that XRP is going to go up in value, that investors are going to see a return? No, he's talking about, uh, you know, if you have a solution that can solve a, remove friction and solve a multi-trillion dollar problem, people are going to want to use it. There's no party more interested in the success of XRP ecosystem than Ripple because we own a lot of XRP. That's just a, you know, another fact of the matter of fact, right? They own it. They're the biggest holder. They're vested in seeing it increase in price. And of course, they can't sell all of it because that would crash the price. So what they need is an ecosystem. That's what's going to be most beneficial to them, which would also be most beneficial to me, the retail investor. In order to make sure that XRP is the most useful asset out there for solving a cross-border payments problem. Oh boy. Okay. 44 of 71. We're getting there. Economic reality has also led reasonable investors to expect that Ripple and its agents will undertake significant efforts to increase the price of XRP. Reasonable investors accordingly understanding that Ripple has the economic incentive and capacity to undertake efforts to promote XRP and the XRP ledger, which would serve Ripple's economic interests and all of that uh, XRP owners equally, which is kind of what I just said. So, yeah. Uh, XRP market capitalization far exceeded the value of one product ODL that uses XRP, which use is not market driven, but subsidized by Ripple. Now that's a bullshit statement from the SEC, right? Um, it is, you know, in ways it's subsidized by Ripple because, you know, they're paying Bitso to uh, upgrade their exchange to get them on RippleNet and to uh, focus on their program and help uh, trial this new technology and get them on board and give them incentive to work with Ripple and help figure out the bugs and what they need to do. And that's what they went and did. Same thing with MoneyGram. They had to integrate to their systems. They had to upgrade their systems. Uh, they had to, you know, th th this is a massive, massive undertaking. And the reason these companies are willing to participate is because they see the change, the paradigm shift that it is over the existing system. And those problems are real. And those problems are solved by Ripple and XRP. And like, I don't know why the SEC is trying to claim otherwise here because it's really disingenuous of them. XRP investors are betting that Ripple may yet solve Garland House's uh, trillion dollar problem and they will profit as a result. Absolutely, 100%, that's what I'm betting on. A and that it's a superior digital asset that has uh, all of these other use cases, thanks to Ripple X coming in and funding all these various initiatives and being willing to try different things and see what's gonna work. Some of them failed. Some of them I think are gonna be wildly successful. In contrast to Ripple, uh, investors in XRP cannot take most or any of the steps that uh, Ripple has taken to grow the XRP ecosystem and increase demand for XRP. Uh, most, if not all, XRP investors simply lack the technical expertise and the resources to do so. Well, guess what? It's an open fucking network. Anybody can come in and build on it. And, uh, you know, you don't have to have massive resources to write code. 
there's kids, uh, you know, proving that every week, right? So I, I think that's just a failed argument right there. Uh, XRP investors are not in any position to, for example, undertake various complex, expensive, all-encompassing strategies about when or how to sell XRP into the markets, protect XRP's price volume and liquidity, as Ripple has done in a purported attempt to foster adoption of XRP. Well, that's adoption for their specific use case, which requires those things because of the high volume, the high transaction amounts. If you have a micropayments, uh, you know, set up or something else that may not require that, you don't have to engage in all that stuff. So that's just what's required for ODL. That's what that note's about. So they're, again, just trying to paint this picture that is completely false here. Nor are XRP uh, investors in any position to increase significantly demand or value for XRP by developing a use for the token through entrepreneurial efforts, at least not without Ripple's support. In other words, not only are Ripple's touted efforts with respect to XRP significant, they are essential to the success or failure of the enterprise. And I would say, no, that's not a valid statement either. Um, they are significant. They're doing lots of things, but as far as the XRP ledger, it could potentially survive without XRP. It would depend, right? Okay, XRP do not exercise any control or authority over how offering proceeds have or will be sent, spent because certain Ripple executive publicized they hold it as an investment. It is reasonable for a holder of XRP to expect these individuals to undertake efforts to increase the value and price of XRP. I think that's a fair argument on their behalf. And I think that's a fair argument and that's an expectation that a lot of people have. Uh, common enterprise, again, uh, because XRP is fungible and fortunes of XRP purchasers uh, were and are tied to one another and each depend on the success of Ripple's XRP strategy. Ripple's success or failure in pro propelling trading of XRP drives demand for XRP. See, they're not trying to propel trading. They're trying to um, solve a problem for banks and FIs uh, that can that that can or uh, that can optionally use XRP and when it uses XRP it's faster it's cheaper it's better right so again they're trying to to frame this as they want to be able to manipulate and control this market and I that's I don't think that's true Ripple pulled the funds it raised in the offering and used them to fund its operations, including to finance building out potential use cases for XRP, paying uh, that's X, uh, Ripple X, paying others to assist in developing a use case, constructing the digital platform it promoted, and compensating executives recruited for these purposes. I'd say that's true. <clears throat> David Schwartz publicly uh, made it made publicly clear that Ripple would sell XRP to raise funds for one common enterprise to fund its operations. This is back in 2013. Source of revenue is the sale of XRP. Wholesale, wholesale's XRP to fund operations is funded by investments in the sale of XRP from various people, Agent One and David Schwartz. Uh, okay. Oh, good. All right, we are booking right along, page 48. An internal email on April 26, 2018. So see, they got all the emails from Ripple already. Uh, he concluded that it was, quote, more of a longer-term question given the current incentives of the stakeholders, meaning that Ripple had incentives to protect the XRP ledger 
Another employee agreed, quote, that has been the point. Ripple is controlled by one ent entity rather than uh, through a distributed entity like Bitcoin. So we're talking, you know, again, uh, it's April 2018. <sighs> Ripple is controlled by one entity. The XRP ledger is not. And, uh, you know, that's one of the common things that people conflate is the XRP. Le they don't understand the difference between XRP, the XRPL, RippleNet, and Ripple. And, like, if you can't do those, you're not really qualified to write this. So this is where... Uh, you know, there's some nuance in here that the SEC is overlooking. Okay. Ripple also led investors to reasonably expect they could reap a profit from their investments into XRP, efforts into their common enterprise, stating that Ripple's efforts sought to increase demand. Yeah, I think, you know, we've kind of beat that to death at this point. Uh, David Schwartz tweeted along with a picture, this is from 2017, of champagne that he, quote, finally got to drink champagne. He was reserving for XRP at 10 cents. Okay, is he not allowed to have champagne and celebrate that his life's work is showing some progress? I, I mean, that was stupid and petty. Okay, November 2017, I'm long BTC Bitcoin. I guess technically I'm long Bitcoin Cash, but I'm also long XRP. This is Brad in 2017, December uh, 2017. I'm long XRP. I'm very, very long XRP as a percentage of my personal balance sheet. <laughs> After you sold 60% of it, asshole, and didn't bother to tell us that you sold anything that you probably sold it to put it into Bitcoin and maybe Bitcoin cash. Nice, Brad, real classy. I remain very, very long XRP. I'm on the HODL side. No, you're on the fucking sell half my bags side and diversify. So that is the most fucking disingenuous thing I think I've ever heard him say, especially in light of what's come out in this lawsuit. That is downright disingenuous. Okay. Uh, Ripple Agent 3's March 2017 Q2 uh, XRP plan update. Email to Garlinghouse acknowledged that Ripple was taking most of the steps described above to encourage speculative, speculative investment in XRP. He also told Garlinghouse that the goal was to drive XRP speculative trading volume. That the tactics, again, this is Miguel. That was that the you know the reason they're doing this. Ripple planned to undertake uh, to do so included escrow announcement, signing exchanges, putting out information in the market to take on skeptics, and announcing business deals to spark uh, speculation about potential partnerships. And kind of, I picked up on that's what they were doing, like dispelling some of the FUD. And so I took and did some videos that like, remember the, um, the, my pimp hand strong video and some of the other ones where these people were just writing the most ridiculous shit about XRP. And I did that because it affected me, not because I'm uh, carrying water for XRP. I want people to know the truth. And then what's frustrating is that, you know, Ripple had a lot of things that they weren't being as honest as I think they should have been. And they were in the process of trying to figure this out. I think they took some missteps. Not until approximately mid-2018 did Ripple first begin earnestly testing ODL. To date, uh, it's only product that permits XRP use for any purpose. 
Well, it's the only purpose that they focused on, right? And that's not a true statement either because they first started testing it back in 2014, but because you guys didn't fucking provide regulatory clarity, the bank said, no, we can't touch that. Uh, So then they had to go with X current and get their foot in the door kind of thing. And now they're ready to roll out ODL. The potential users of ODL that Ripple is targeting are money transmitters as well as banks, but they're starting small and growing it organically. Much of the onboarding onto ODL was not organic or market driven. I agree with that. Rather, it was subsidized by Ripple. No, it was, I mean, that's true, but they were trying to leapfrog the grassroots effort and build the liquidity and volume, bring in the market makers on top of that, and then bring in the institutions. And that failed. At least one money transmitter, the money transmitter found to be much more expensive and therefore not a product it wished to use without significant compensation from Ripple. So that's the quote from uh, Ernest, the the Western Union guy, and we've seen what's happened to their company. MoneyGram is fucking eating their lunch right now. <laughs> okay, between early 2019 and July 2020, the money transmitter conducted the overwhelming majority of XRP trading volume in connection with ODL. Ripple had to pay the money transmitter significant financial compensation, often paid in XRP in exchange for the money transmitter's agreement to help Ripple increase volume on ODL. Yes, so that they could bring in these other institutional players. That was the goal. Again, they failed, but they had you know, they had to try and figure this thing out, and that's the way they they wanted to do it. Ripple announced for the first time in history in 2020, it began selling XRP directly to money transmitters, specifically for affecting money transfers through ODL. And I think that's their um, letter of credit. In order to effectuate the ODL transaction, the money transmitters then immediately resold those XRP into the public markets to individual entities that had no use for XRP. Again, with this bullshit, there is no other use for XRP. They could hold it and then sell it back to someone sending a payment in the other direction. That's a use. You are could effectively be a market maker in the market if you wanted to, right? So again, yeah, it's just, this is ridiculous right here. Okay. Uh, throughout the offering, defendants did not restrict sales of XRP to purchasers who actually use XRP as a medium to execute cross-border transactions. Well, if you only sell it to the fucking banks that are going to execute cross-border transactions, then who buys it? You don't have an answer for that, SEC, because your premise is fucking wrong, okay? I, as a retail holder, can participate in ODL by offering my uh, XRP up for sale at a certain price point. And if somebody wants to come in and use it to facilitate a transaction, they can do that. I can participate by buying XRP at a set price. And if they want to come in and sell me XRP, I can do that. And that will facilitate an ODL transaction. That's how the system works. And that's what your argument, that's where your argument is, their argument is really deficient here. They're failing to acknowledge that there is use for retail holders, okay? And, and that's before we get into, well, crypto has utility on its own and XRP is a crypto. But 
retail uh, investors can participate in this. They're acting like it's excluded and we're just being dumped on while being fed this narrative. And that's not the case. Ripple has at times suggested that XRP are not securities, but instead exempt from the Securities Act altogether as currencies. That goes back to their um, uh, CFTC settlement. XRP is not uh, currency under the federal securities law. So here's the SEC showing we don't give a fuck what the others do. Uh, we're going we're gonna to provide uh, conflicting guidance to you, industry, because we don't give a fuck about you. We care about ourselves, and we're not here to actually do our job. We're here to tell you what to do. XRP is not a currency. XRP is, has, not been, has not been designed as a legal tender in any jurisdiction. Okay. XRP is not issued by, nor is it backed by the full faith and credit of any country, national government, central bank, or other monetary authority. Because, you know, that and $5 will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks as long as you don't get too crazy with it, right? <laughs> God, these fucking politicians and bureaucrats, they're disgusting. A native currency that operates, for example, on Ripple's decentralized network or blockchain technology is a specialized instrument for a particular computer network, not legal tender. Uh, okay, yeah, they're, not, they're saying it's a currency, not that it's legal tender. All right, so two years later in a press conference 2018, Garlinghouse stated, I almost never use the expression cryptocurrency and the reason uh, is today these aren't currencies. I can go to Starbucks and buy a coffee with Bitcoin. I can't buy coffee with XRP, uh, which can't really buy coffee with Bitcoin. <laughs> or yeah, I guess he's, that's what he's saying. Uh, currencies traditionally are something you can use to transact efficiently and broadly. Very few people, even in the crypto community, have used the, you know, Bitcoin or XRP to buy something. What he calls them are digital assets, and that's a fair statement. It doesn't mean that they're, they don't have the properties of a currency or a convertible digital currency. They have, I can do things with XRP that I can't do with physical dollars, Right. So they have properties that extend the capabilities of fiat that go beyond the capabilities of fiat. I can conduct peer-to-peer. -peer. I don't have to have a third-party intermediary. I don't have to have permission. I don't have to jump through your government hoops that you put up for KYC AML. So, you know, again, that, that, that's like a pretty disingenuous thing that they're trying to say here. I think you see what was up here. So Schwartz is saying, we do not plan to encourage use of XRP as an alternative to Bitcoin or as a direct payment method at this time. So that's saying we're, we're not expecting to use this as retail, but as a hotel wholesale currency, which is very consistent with what they've messaged. Right. I don't think the use case is a consumer use case today because you know, that's not what they're going for. It doesn't, won't scale to that for billions of people. In first world countries like the United States, I don't see the consumer use for crypto anytime soon or even for 95% of global GDP. Well, it's a global asset and there are places, the U.S., you know, our consumers aren't that disadvantaged or 
we don't have a whole lot of unbanked, but in other countries they do, and they can transact with XRP with just a, a simple wallet, right? Now there's the reserve and all that, but in crypto in general solves that problem better than they do with all their regulations and rules and bullshit. In short, XRP purchasers and the market's uh, lack of information that issuers provide under the Securities Act and the Exchange Act when they solicit public investment and foster a secondary market when their securities are publicly traded. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with that. <clears throat> Ripple and Larson knew that XRP may be a security from the onset of the offering and simply ignored the legal requirement. And that, I think that's disingenuous for them to say. They knew it was a risk that it, uh, you know, that there was a risk it could be viewed as a security. I don't think they ignored it. They chose, uh, they decided, perhaps incorrectly, that it was not a major risk for them. Okay. Moving right along. Almost done here. Ripple and the SEC entered into toiling agreements, suspending the running of any applicable statute of limitations from April 2019 through June 30th, 2019. So, <clears throat> since April 2019, April 1st, they've known that the SEC is investigating Ripple and they haven't said a fucking word to any of us. And they've gone on with, oh no, we're not a security. XRP is not a security. There's this and that. And that, again, fuck you guys. Never invited to swell <laughs> after this video. Hands down. Larson and the SEC entered into uh, toiling agreements, suspending the running of any applicable statute of limitations from September 1st through December 31st, 2020. <clears throat> I think the SEC kind of uh, used leverage against them, probably threatened, intimidated them a little bit into signing these and also giving over the emails. I'm guessing they did that voluntarily. Um, how is it? I'm, I'm sitting here asking, how is it? that Larson's still uh, culpable and that the statute of limitations hasn't run out by September 1st, 2020, right? Or by September, or what is it? The date up here by April in 2019, that's after five years, I think anyway. Um, <clears throat> Cause yeah, they created it in 2012. So anyway, but it does, uh, you know, this is basically Ripple acknowledging that uh, basically giving in and giving the SEC the, um, uh, I guess, supporting their claim that, yeah, we're still liable. And they knew about this and they didn't bother to disclose that. Which, in their defense, why would they? But at the same time, pretty shitty. Permanently enjoining defendants, and this is what they're asking for, I believe. Yeah, prayer for relief. <laughs> Fucking courts. Permanently enjoining the defendants in active concert or participation by delivering XRP to any persons or taking steps to, to affect any unregistered offer or sale of XRP. So get them away. Make them stop. Make them stop selling the, the, the evil one. XRP disgorge all their ill-gotten gains. Of course, you know, Brad's done real well on his Bitcoin. So the hundred million he might've thrown in there, I'm guessing that's worth a little bit more 
now. So if he has to give up the 150 million that he sold, he's he's going to be down to you know probably his last two or three hundred million. <laughs> nice, nice. That's that's great. Prohibiting defendants from participating in any offering of digital asset securities, ordering defendants to pay civil money penalties, granting any other further relief this court may deem just and proper for the benefit of XRP investors. And Jay, I already have Clayton didn't sign this. And that is it. We're done. So I think you guys have a pretty good idea. I, you know, of what's in there, of what's alleged. Ripples and Chris and Brad done some fucking shitty things. I think uh, largely that uh, David Schwartz is really being uh, misrepresented here and kind of maligned by what uh, the SEC is doing. I also think the SEC is bringing up some valid points. I think Ripples got uh, some valid points to make. I don't know how this is all going to shake out. Uh, but I hope I gave you, I think, a fair and um, kind of biased, unbiased, or I guess my biased opinion. <laughs> but having, you know, followed this thing over most of this period for the last three or four years, <clears throat> I'm familiar with the history here. And clearly the SEC is getting some things wrong about what they're putting forth in this document. And uh, I hope those get corrected. I I don't know how this is going to work out. Uh, Ripple, Brad, and uh, Chris have said they're going to fight it, that they could have taken a settlement. I think this is likely to end up being settled or dismissed. My guess is they're going to try and challenge it and see if they can get it dismissed based on some some magical legal gotcha they have up their sleeve, hopefully. And they also they have the former SEC chairman that Jay replaced uh, heading up their defense. So there's a good chance. And he said it's not a security and so have others. Uh, so I don't know how it's going to shake out, but I think they're probably hoping for a quick win <clears throat> on the front end with some motions that they can file. If not, I'd say they're more likely to settle. Uh, and I think the settlement might be, you know, probably that they're not going to be excluded from selling XRP again, but that it would be more of a we did some things wrong. We'll pay a fine for it. We were very naughty, judge. Sorry. Um, and then life will go on. There's a chance that they could have to turn the, the conspiracy crowd wants to say, oh, they're going to turn it over to the IMF. And I, I'm not certain of that. But, you know, that's it, the fact that they could have to turn this over to some third party in order to continue XRP and they keep a certain percentage you know, that 25, 30%, something like that as part of this settlement as something they might offer up. I think that's could very well be in the cards as well. So I can't rule that out by any means. So there you go. Oh, that was really long. Um, what to say? Patreons.com slash to the lifeboats. They're the ones that make videos like this where I spend a whole freaking day reading this thing, highlighting it, putting it all together, and then recording a video possible. Thank you very much to them. And uh, that's it, guys. Y'all just have to learn to share me. I'm going to make crypto videos. I'm going to make conspiracy videos. I'm going to make election videos. And if you don't like it, don't watch. 
Uh, if you don't want to do that, I don't fucking care. I'm Sam I am. We'll catch y'all next broadcast.